0: chapter seven of the ascent of mount saint elias alaska by Filippo de Filippi. this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by phil Schempf. newton glacier on july 16th we struck our tents at sledge camp and set out to climb the newton glacier dividing our party into several caravans each of which started as soon as the loads were packed we had spent one night only in this camp and had worked very hard to get everything in readiness for the start we were impatient to make our way up this last valley from the top of which we expected to obtain a complete view of mount st elias from base to summit the agassiz glacier pours down from its basin in a very broken state and its surface becomes still more chaotic as it flows past the terminal cascade of the newton the two glaciers do not fuse at once in a single mass at their point of junction for some distance the newton stand out from the surface of the agassiz in the shape of huge blocks of hard snow scattered between the crevasses or half buried in them now stretching across them like a bridge or again posed on the very brink often at so sharp an angle that one expects them to fall at any moment to reach the foot of the icefall at the western end we have to walk for a while over this rugged tangle of the agassiz threading labyrinths of ice-blocks and cautiously crossing snow-bridges over numerous crevasses often half filled with water we gained the newton plateau in the same way that we had mounted the terminal ice-fall of the seward namely by a tongue of snow and ice wedged between the rocks and seracs this gully however is double the height of that on the seward about six hundred feet and is split halfway up by three or four wide crevasses with edges of live ice placed almost vertically one above the other to cross these with our loads was an unpleasant bit of work but neither difficult nor dangerous the snow in the gully was studded with stones and boulders fallen from the perpendicular rock wall one thousand feet in height which bounds it on the left and is furrowed with innumerable vertical grooves surmounted at the top by a glacier of which the edge is visible on reaching the top of this Kowar, we turned to the right towards the center of the Newton Glacier. The upper valley was filled with mist, and we could see nothing in front of us except another huge fall of Sirax, extending across the whole width of the glacier and apparently barricading the valley. In little more than half an hour, we had traversed the plateau and cast off our loads, almost at the foot of the second ice fall, 14,485 feet above the sea the leading characteristics of all the great glaciers of this region namely their division into terraces connected by ice falls is more obvious in the newton than in any of the others here the foot of the terminal ice fall is at three thousand seven hundred forty feet above the sea while the basin from which it flows is at eight thousand six hundred sixty one feet the difference of level is owing almost entirely to the three tremendous drops between which the glacier forms three plateaus the lowest of these just above the terminal cascade is seven hundred forty five feet higher than the agassiz the second terrace is one thousand eight hundred seventy five feet above the first while the topmost is at a level of two thousand two hundred one feet above the second thus the ice falls increase in height as the valley rises the lowest however has the most precipitous drop and the ice is so broken that it might perhaps be impossible to climb it in the center the second is less steep and subdivided by a short stretch of comparatively level though still broken ice footnote owing to this division russell considers that there are two cascades between the lower and middle terrace and consequently that the newton glaciers form four cascades end footnote. the highest of the three is steeper and shorter than the middle one the surface of the intermediate terraces is undulating and full of crevasses but the uppermost of these is the widest and steepest in fact the two lower plateaus are almost level and at certain points their slope is actually reversed the glacier runs through a deep valley the head of which is closed by a steep ice wall rising to the cold between mount st elias and mount newton on either side it is bounded by two buttresses of mount st elias with a medium height of about ten thousand feet of these the one to the north is the more picturesque to the blunt flattened summit of mount newton succeeds a long series of slender pinnacles and dizzy ice peaks reaching heights of twelve thousand to thirteen thousand feet and connected by sharp ridges variously twisted and curved falling at every angle on all sides and edged with huge cornices of snow the chain extends as far as mount bering keeping the same height throughout its length a short ridge juts out from the latter summit and barring the base of the valley compels the newton glacier running from west to east to change its direction during the last part of its course towards the agassiz so that its terminal cascade faces due south the southern buttress of the valley starting from the eastern crest of mount st elias forms two fine peaks one of ice the other of rock then running down to the mouth of the vale makes a turn to the southwest and forms the western wall of the agassiz glacier this mountain barrier separates the newton and agassiz from the libby glacier which pours down into the malaspina from the southeast flank of st elias both sides of the valley throughout its length are precipitous and deeply covered with snow even where the cliffs are vertical or overhanging the frequent snowfalls leave them sprinkled with white patches numerous glaciers piled into seracs cling to the steep rocks as though suspended over the valley and some end suddenly in a vertical white wall at the edge of the precipice of the many peaks crowning the valley not one seems accessible from it throughout this vast range of mountains one looks in vain for some point of vantage whence a reasonably secure route to the top may be descried the sole exception is the short extent of cliffs that bars the head of the valley and leads to the base of the northern ridge of mount st elias although at too great a distance for us to decide as to its safety from avalanches the newton glacier is about eight miles in length it took us thirteen days to reach the upper end we encamped six times on the way and our average march was a little over a mile and a half we had to contend almost constantly with persistent and dense snowfalls which lasted entire days enveloping us in a blinding cloud which made our surroundings strangely vague it was heavy walking through the powdery snow in which we often sank to our hips while we had to grope our way patiently among the great blocks of ice over snow-bridges often insecure and amid the incessant roar of avalanches and stonefalls which thundered down from morning till night on the margins of the glacier the newton was no less inhospitable to us than it had been to our predecessor russell for we had only three fine days out of the thirteen it is hard to say whether these interminable snowfalls are owing to the general climatic conditions of the region or to local characteristics related with the direction of the valley its altitude etc mr russell maintains that there is more bad weather on the summits than on the frozen plateaus at the base of the chains mr topham on the other hand asserts that there is often a whole day of rain on the seashore when the sky is perfectly clear over the peak of mount st elias we ourselves observed that the sky always cleared first round the summits and we found less fresh snow on the coal and the crest of mount st elias than down in the valley we also frequently noticed that heavy fogs entirely cover the levels of the malaspina glacier and its banks when all the high valleys were in sunshine under a clear sky While a comparison of the meteorological observations taken by mr hendrickson the missionary at yakutat with those taken simultaneously by ourselves on the mountain shows that there is more mist and cloud at low than at high levels in spite of persistent bad weather our days on the newton glacier were neither monotonous nor wearisome the scenery revealed such wealth of color and form that every day in all sorts of weather some novelty was seen some endless succession of unexpected views the glacier is usually blue and of deeper blue in mist than in sunshine not greenish as on alpine ice-fields this colouring pervades the air and is caught and reflected by the mist until everything is bathed in a transparent azure the effect is so constant and so marked although in varying degrees of intensity that this might appropriately be named the blue valley probably the tint is owed to the enormous quantity of snow that covers the ice everywhere even in the deepest crevasses during our first evening on the newton we saw a strange and beautiful spectacle about six thirty p m the dense fogs which had massed the valley all day lifted a little clearing away from the glacier and its precipitous rock walls and all the head of the valley appeared of such deep indigo tint that it was impossible to distinguish which was ice sky or rock little by little this color spread growing gradually fainter and fainter and tinged with blue one after another every ice-fallen serac of the newton and the mountains on either hand with their glaciers until everything was bathed in an azure haze the portage of all our belongings from the agassiz up to the newton was only completed on the following day seventeenth july an icy cold rain mixed with sleet was pouring down the guides had returned to sledge camp to fetch the baggage left behind there the previous day his royal highness and lieutenant cogney had gone to fetch a few loads which had been brought up to the top of the icefall and deposited on the snow two hours later on their return to camp great excitement was caused by the news they had sighted four men climbing the agassiz glacier in the direction of the last camp where our guides still remained evidently the strangers must be a portion of mr bryant's caravan more than once we had felt surprise at finding no trace of the expedition that was supposed to be in advance of us and had divined what was really the fact that it had ascended the agassiz instead of the seward glacier following the route taken by mr russell in eighteen ninety one at about six o'clock p m during a downpour of rain our guides appeared at last with a letter from mr bryant the progress of his caravan had been much delayed by the illness of one of the porters and the consequent loss of his services and those of a comrade detailed to look after him after climbing the agassiz to within a mile or two of the newton Fall, mr bryant had decided to abandon the ascent having described two tents left at the foot of the fall he had gone up there to inform his royal highness or some member of his party that he withdrew from the attempt on mount st elias and wished him every success after giving this letter to our men and taking a short rest mr bryant started down the glacier with his party we had missed by a few hours our one chance of meeting the only other men besides ourselves on the vast icy desert the lower plateau of the newton was the last place where we had rain higher up it was always snow accordingly the limit of rainfalls in the st elias region must be assigned to the altitude of four thousand four hundred to four thousand five hundred feet the remaining portion of the plateau to be crossed before reaching the second icefall is seamed with huge furrows and has several little tarns before long the glacier slopes upward more steeply and beyond some wide crevasses we come to the seracs of this second cascade whether from special atmospheric conditions or from the greater extent of snowfield these optical illusions which are common to all glaciers were manifested on a most unusual scale we found ourselves climbing in and out of troughs of varying depths between rugged ice waves almost without visual perception of them in fact we only realized their existence by periodically losing sight of the party ahead or when on turning to look back we found our view of the glacier was shut out by some incline we had descended unawares the first half of the icefall is easy to climb In some parts of it, the seracs lie in rows, divided by wide furrows which form a direct and easy path between snow walls rising to about thirty-five feet. But the numerous crevasses compelled us to perform more gymnastic exercises than were desirable with our heavy loads. At last, however, we emerged from one of these icy corridors onto the comparatively flat stretch of ice that divides the second cascade in two parts it is seen by numerous torrents flowing between high banks of snow and scattered with round masses of ice among which lurk limpid pools of blue water his royal highness decided to encamp on the margin of one of these lakelets in a hollow sheltered by snow slopes our march had taken two hours and a half a drizzle of sleet went on the whole of eighteenth july but the nineteenth being a splendid day we took advantage of it to carry up our baggage as far as the lake in the evening ingram and five porters appeared with fresh supplies so his royal highness detained them to give us their assistance in moving our camp farther on excited by the view of mount st elias now apparently very near and anxious about the uncertain weather we decided to lighten our loads by leaving the iron bedsteads behind we started all together the next morning under a clouded sky and in oppressively sultry weather we were soon among the seracs and our route became very picturesque but unluckily the very details of the scene proved so many hindrances to our progress we were always either clambering up or scrambling down or squeezing through chilly ice passages in the depths of narrow crevasses where there was barely room for our loads under dripping snow cornices in the faint glimmering light we could just discern cavernous vaults and closing blue pools of half-frozen water Beyond these passages, the view was bounded on all sides by thousands of white-crested seracs, forming so tangled a labyrinth that it seemed impossible to find a way through it. Before long, the fog closed about us more densely, and a shout from the front warned us that it was useless to try to thread all these intricacies in a blinding mist, and we were thus obliged to halt halfway up the ice-fall, on a scanty level of a serac, barely affording room for our tents the americans soon started off on the return journey while after a hasty meal we sought refuge under the hospitable canvas to escape from the unspeakable melancholy of this waste of ice shrouded in a cold gray wet mist for three whole days we were detained in this camp in the most obstinately bad weather it is possible to conceive the resolutely hostile mountain was meeting its invaders in a manner worthy of its fame snow began to fall heavily on the night of our arrival and on leaving our tents early the next morning twenty first july we found that the drifts had completely buried stoves utensils instruments and numerous miscellaneous objects left out the previous evening after a long patient search we succeeded in recovering all our belongings and carefully gathered them together to avoid losses which might entail serious inconvenience the appearance of our camp was now entirely changed the sides of the tents had caved in under the weight of the snow the very pegs were capped with big white heaps and even the ropes were covered with a thick layer of frost notwithstanding the waterproof qualities claimed for our canvas roofs the water was dripping through inside and we had to clear off the snow and tighten the ropes to try and put a stop to this very inconvenient leakage armed with axes and cooking utensils we set to work to dig trenches round the tents and get rid of the accumulated snow but it was falling so fast and so thickly that almost incessant labor was needed to prevent everything from being buried in a very short time there was a bank three feet high round the tents through the faintly rose-tinted mist one could discern on all sides the vague outlines of piled seracs bowed down as it were by their heavy load while around the camp the ice sloped steeply downwards to invisible depths steadily ceaselessly the noiseless white flakes fell from time to time the roar of an avalanche broke the oppressive silence a flight of stray birds doomed perhaps to perish of exhaustion on the ice fluttered through the mist and for a moment turned our thoughts to green woodlands and the stir of life fortunately bad weather in alaska is usually calm weather snow and rain are seldom accompanied by storms of wind We never saw, either in the horizon or about the peaks, the dark, rounded thunderclouds which mean storms, nor even a single flash of lightning. Footnote. Mr. Russell had a different experience. At the end of August, 1891, near the coast, he was assailed by such violent hurricanes that he was driven to seek refuge in the forest, all progress being impossible on the open moraine. End footnote all night and throughout the following day the snowfall continued only towards evening on the twenty-third of july had we a few hours respite the thick fog curtain lifted gradually here and there first the near seracs emerged then peaks appeared for a moment soon to be hidden again behind drifting mists while now and then blue sky showed between the clouds there were continual fleeting glimpses of mountain crests lighted by an increasingly clear and brilliant radiance a succession of pictures appearing and disappearing as the mess floated this way and that until at last the whole valley lay revealed the layers of mist dividing seracs cliffs and crests into a series of terraces one above the other added to the grandeur of the scene delicate mist wreaths clung to the higher rocks torn into fringes and driven hither and thither by the breeze all around us were ridges of ice and the infinitely various and grotesque humps formed by the ciracs, laden with fresh snow the fleecy burden softens every curve and rounds every angle and edge of the fissures so that these alaskan ciracs have a very different aspect from those of our alps which are real polyhedrons of ice hard and angular in form with smooth surfaces of cleavage soon the whole valley wakes to life in the sunshine and avalanches thunder on all sides enormous masses of stones ice and snow hurtle down from the lofty cliffs with prolonged rumblings with explosions and sharp volleys as of musketry repeated by multitudinous echoes the snow avalanches are the most beautiful of all their descent lasts whole minutes as they slide down giddy slopes leaping from cliff to cliff in dazzling white cascades with a dull continuous roar testifying to the enormous weight and velocity of the moving mass the entire aspect of the mountain walls is sensibly changed glittering ice-needles and tangled cross lines of fracture break the uniform whiteness of the huge mass of snow innumerable furrows appear traced on every slope hitherto absolutely smooth and even the sun sinks slowly until it touches the peak of mount st elias then after seemingly lingering a while slowly sets shedding a dazzling light over the whole valley the air is clear as crystal peaks of rock and ice slender ridges fringed with snow cornices furrowed cliffs worn by the incessant fall of stones and by great avalanches of ice all stand out every detail defined with extraordinary clearness the temperature has sunk below zero and silence reigns once more in its frozen immobility the valley is a symbol of eternal duration serene and unchangeable at nightfall the mist settled down again and the peaks precipices and ice falls were enveloped in a shroud of increasing thickness fresh masses of vapor rose from below spreading in every direction choking every opening of the glacier every hollow of its flanks until by nine o'clock p m we were again imprisoned in the damp chill of the gray fog We had not been inactive during these days on the twenty-first the guides went down to sledge camp and brought up fresh supplies on the twenty-second in spite of the bad weather his royal highness pushed forward at the head of a caravan and found a track to the second plateau and on the twenty-third the first loads of stores were transported thither during a short interval of sunshine on the morning of july twenty-fourth Two caravans set out in a heavy snowstorm to carry up a good part of the camp material and were back by eleven o'clock two hours later we started all together with the final loads the snow was still falling thickly and the refraction of the white mist was blinding it was impossible to realize the inclination of the slopes we walked like somnambulists mistaking shallow depressions for bottomless gulfs and scraping elbows and packs against walls of snow close beside us which we thought to be flat climbing seracs or marching along their edges we appeared to one another as shadowy giants on giddy heights and impossible slopes plunging apparently into space at every step one curious phenomenon caused by refraction was that while we could fairly distinguish the outlines of seracs about one hundred fifty feet distant we could see nothing that was close to us and the illusion was so complete that the leading guide occasionally sounded with his axe to ascertain if his next step would fall on snow or into empty space thus clambering over some blocks and skirting others scarcely conscious of the way we reached the second plateau the deep track marked out in the early morning was already snowed over but the guide showed marvellous ability in rediscovering and following up the trail the leader of the first party groped about with his feet for the beaten track beneath the snow outside that track one sank in the waste, and all progress was impossible while even on it the snow lay more than knee-deep we were divided into three parties leading by turns for the guide in advance had to work so hard pushing his way through the snow that he could only do short spells during one of our brief halts a guide made the valley echo with the typical long-drawn mountain cry his voice had the strangest effect breaking the silence of the peaks an answering cry came from selah who had remained in the place selected in the early morning for the next camp and although we were still over forty-five minutes march from him his voice was as strong and distinct as though he were only fifty paces off soon afterwards the tents already pitched at the new camp came into sight and it seemed extraordinary that they should be visible at that distance through the mist it is impossible to judge the extent of one's field of vision in a mist unless there is some dark object on the snow to direct the eye both snow and air gave exactly the same impression of uniformly diffused white light seeing is no less hard than in the dark steering is also very difficult as we proved when we tried again to sight the tents after having turned our eyes elsewhere sometimes looking in every direction it took us a full minute to discover them although they were plainly in sight at last about five-thirty we came up with Sela. a little gusty wind had now risen which drove the snow straight in our faces and we felt very cold hurrying on to the camp we pitched the remaining tents on firm foundations of snow formed by treading it down thoroughly before long we were all dining together under canvas we were cheerful in spite of weather for our confidence in the success of the expedition was unshaken the slightest lifting of the mist sufficed to dispel whatever doubt the inclemency of the weather and the continual fall of fresh snow might have awakened complicated wagers passed between us as to the height of mount st elias the result of our ascent and even as to the day and hour of attaining the summit we sat talking on into the evening by the faint light of our little alpine lanterns by this time there was as much as four hours of real night and the few candles packed with the provisions came into use the snow fell on the tents with a slight crackling sound to prevent it from caking we gave the canvas an occasional shake from inside as the accumulation of new fallen snow must have already effaced every sign of our track we began to feel rather anxious for our americans who would be on the newton glacier by now accordingly on the morning of the twenty-fifth july his royal highness sent three guides back to meet them and put them in the right way if necessary while at the same time another party went on ahead to explore the third icefall the weather showed signs of improvement with alterations of sleet mist and sun the latter was still pale and hazy but grew stronger and brighter every day after being so long wrapped in fog we now had broken glimpses of the scenery about us we were not encamped in the middle of the glacier but near its right edge close to the southern buttress of the valley this spur projecting from the east side of mount st elias first runs up into a fine peak that is an exact copy much reduced of the great summit and then curves round clasping a considerable basin surmounted by an ice peak tipped by a daring white pinnacle that darts up into the sky like an obelisk this basin which descends to the second plateau of the newton contains a glacier which scales the walls that encircle it and covers them completely throughout their height his royal highness gave it the name of the savoy glacier the guide sent back by his royal highness to seek the porters remained absent two entire days and only returned to camp early on the twenty seventh a little ahead of the american party they had found the latter just preparing to go back after vain attempts to find their way besides provisions they brought us a welcome though unexpected packet of letters from italy which had come to yakutat by a coasting vessel and thanks to mr hendrickson had been conveyed by indians to an appointed place on the malaspina coast the weather now cleared up splendidly and our anxieties vanished early in the afternoon we struck camp and all set off leaving behind one of the whimper tents one stove the cooking utensils and some more articles of clothing our march was a short but very fatiguing one owing to the bad state of the snow it brought us over the foot of the third ice-fall to the real ciracs, where the steepest part of the ascent begins. On the previous day the party had gone without loads to beat a track through the snow, taking two hours to cover two hundred fifty feet of road, and had been followed by a second party with part of the baggage. Nevertheless, we found it hard and unpleasant work to struggle along in deep, uneven ruts, which often gave way under our weight. The next camp was pitched at 7,431 feet, on a narrow strip of snow between a wide crevasse and a sheer cliff of serac about sixty feet in height. Fringes of snow were continually breaking off from the narrow cornice at the upper edge of the serac and slipping down on our tent-flaps, with a rustling as of silk. Our camp was now reduced to three tents—one for the guides, one for our party of four, and a small mummery tent occupied by His Royal Highness the following day twenty-eighth of july we carried up everything in two journeys to the highest plateau of the newton glacier at the top of the valley by skirting to the right round the serac overhanging the camp we managed to climb the mass and going on to its farthest edge found a deep crevasse nearly one hundred feet wide yawning at our feet fortunately a narrow snow ridge projected from the serac on which we stood and slanted down across the great fissure to the opposite and lower edge We cautiously ventured on to this slender causeway, taking care to place our feet exactly in the center, since both sides were precipitous and covered with loose snow that broke away at the slightest touch. The passage effected, we made our way over masses of ice connected by shaky bridges of almost loose snow, most of which were either broken or incomplete. All of us broke through more than once, but by careful use of the rope no accident occurred. Through the great holes with jagged margins produced by these stumbles we saw mysterious azure caverns deep below of the most marvellous blue ever created by snow with a sheen like watered silk and brilliant almost metallic reflections at last we emerged from this labyrinth of ice-blocks at the head of the ice-fall in the great upper basin of the newton at this point the glacier has an undulating surface and we found it so loaded with snow that the crevasses if there were any were all hidden this basin is two miles in width and about three in length and is overhung by the walls of mount st elias of the coal and of mount newton turning towards the middle of the plateau we pitched our camp within a mile of the outlet of the basin out of reach of the avalanches threatening to fall on every side we were now at eight thousand six hundred sixty-one feet above sea-level directly over us rose the vast pyramid of mount st elias which had a bulky flattened aspect seen thus foreshortened the almost rectilinear north northeastern ridge sloped at a moderate angle broken here and there by seracs which did not look formidable Halfway up and a little below three groups of black crags break the pure snow line while above these the arete rose without interruption to a huge buttress of ice beyond which was the rounded dome of the peak the wall rising to the coal was rather steep save for a triangular rock island exactly in the middle it was entirely covered with snow above and to the right of this cliff the slope was broken up into seracs but towards the left it showed smooth and looked easy of ascent although not quite free from danger of avalanches of ice and stones from the northeast flank of mount saint elias on the twenty ninth of july three guides started ahead to pick out the way and cut steps up the wall of the coal his royal highness with a small party returned down to our preceding camp to bring up provisions the light mists which had floated all day about the mountain sides and peaks melted away in the cool of the evening and a cloudless night began chapter seven